Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2, 1 Samuel chapter 2 for uh, our study this morning. We're continuing, of course, in the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is kind of a special book because it's really a, a history book, but it gives a change of a time period. It's a transition book. In fact, we can put it this way, that 1 Samuel is a transition book. It is uh, basically a transition from the time of the judges to the time of the kings. Samuel is the final judge, and we said the word judge is so for team. It really means a deliverer. It, it, he, he did make decisions, but he was also a deliverer. We'll talk more about that. And then there's Saul, who was the very first king. David, of course, is going to be anointed as king in 1 Samuel, but he doesn't become the king until 2 Samuel. We think about, and we're looking at the life in this first, at least the first seven chapters, the life of Samuel. He was pretty unique because he had three offices. He was a prophet, a priest, and a, and a judge. He was a prophet because he proclaimed the word of God, and he also gave future aspects as well. He was a priest because he was a tribe of Levi, and what's unusual about him, instead of waiting to age 25 to serve as a priest. He, uh, he started that when he was a little boy. And then finally, he was a judge, a, a deliverer. Uh, we see some great things. We saw last time his mother, Hannah, took a, basically him, Samuel, about five years old, took him up to the tabernacle where Eli was. Eli was an old man. He was the high priest. And took him to him and basically said, here's my son. I dedicated him to the Lord. Now, now you have him. And that's basically where we, we sort of got to the end. And, and she sang a, a special song, and we saw that last time. As we look this morning, there's going to be a contrast the contrast between, we see two things basically, the contrast between Samuel and the sons of Eli. Eli's sons were Hophni and Phinehas, and they are evil. They're called the sons of Belial. They're called worthless sons. We'll talk more about why as we look through it, and we see Samuel who is growing in the, in the knowledge of the Lord. And then we see the coming judgment on Eli for his failure. And so as we look at this passage this morning, there's a lot in there, and we'll go, it's, it's narrative, and so we'll go quickly, even though it's a lot of verses, we'll go through it fairly quickly. When you look at the book of Ephesians, and in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, really give us great truths concerning family relationships. You think about it. It's where it's it says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. It says, fathers, bring your children up in the training and admonition of the Lord. It says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. All of these keys, they're, they're there. But one of the key things is about parents training their children. And we all know that we're supposed to train our children. And we, we know that at our church, we have, we have different times in which we train children. But the truth is, that's a supplemental thing. It is the parents responsibility to train up their children. And you know, here's the truth, that if we do not train our children, the world will train them. And that, that culture will shape them and, and all of that. It is so vital that mothers and fathers, uh, we have that great privilege to train up our kids. Well, this morning, we're going to see the passage that Eli, the high priest, did not obviously train up his boys because they do not know the Lord, and they do, they do a lot of evil things. In fact, we're going to see the contrast between the sons of Eli and Samuel, the young boy serving in the tabernacle. And think about this, what we have seen. We've seen a mother praying for her son, <clears throat> and he's growing up <clears throat> to be a godly servant. But we also see the sons of Eli who are called worthless, worthless men. They're not trained, and they're actually disobeying the word of God. And so we're going to see a lot there. And uh, the, the uh, Galatians passage says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. We're going to see that comes back on Eli. Because Eli was supposed to train up his boys. He knows what they're doing is wrong. And he hasn't dealt with it. And we're going to see what happens in this passage. Let me give you <clears throat> the outline. 
And we're going to see, first of all, uh, that uh, we'll start with verse 11 just as a little review. And then we'll get 12 through 17, which is Eli's evil sons. And then we're going to talk about Samuel. And then we'll see Eli's failure and then a prophecy. Well, a man comes called the man, a man of God. We don't even know his name. He's a prophet, obviously, and he comes and he tells of the coming judgment that's going to happen to Eli and his family. As you begin, let me remind you of what's happened. There was a man named Elkanah, and he had two wives, and one wife had kids, and one wife didn't have any children, and the one that had children made fun of the one that didn't have children, and when they go up to worship every year at Shiloh, where the tabernacle was, the one that didn't have children would get all upset, and one year she actually went up to the tabernacle and started praying to God and basically said, oh God, give me a son, give me a child, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. The high priest Eli was there, he saw her, she wasn't making any noise, she was just saying it, you know, and he said, what are you doing drunk here? He thought she was drunk, and she said, I'm not drunk, I'm just pulling out my heart. And so Eli said, okay, your prayer will be answered. And so she goes back, and she says, my prayer is going to be answered. And it was, and she had a boy. And she had said this, this was her vow, she said, if I have a son... I will dedicate him to the Lord all his days. Now, he's, they're from the tribe of Levi, so at age 25, he would have automatically could serve in the tabernacle. But he's going to start when he's a little boy. She says all of his days. And she also said he would be a Nazarite. Most of you know we've talked about it for several weeks. A Nazarite is a vow. It's not somebody from Nazareth. That's called a Nazarene. This is a Nazarite. It was a vow in which a person would make a vow to God for a certain period of time. They would not cut their hair. They would not drink any, any wine, touch any grapes, or touch anything dead. After a certain time, they would shave their head, and then the vow would be over. Some people became Nazarites their whole life, and this is going to be Samuel. He's going to be a Nazarite his whole life. He will never cut his hair. He's never supposed to touch a dead body. He's never supposed to drink wine or grape juice, anything like that. And we know that like John the Baptist was a Nazarite and Samson was a Nazarite. So there's people in the Bible that we see that are famous that were Nazarites. Well, this little boy is going to be that. And so what we find is last week or last time we saw that she goes up and if you turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 26, it says, Then she comes up there with the boy, and she says to Eli, she says, Oh, my Lord, as your soul is, my Lord, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I ask of him. So I dedicated him to the Lord, and as long as he lives, he's dedicated to the Lord. And she gives him there, so says that Eli, we're assuming Eli worshiped the Lord there. Now, we talked about it last time. She, this little boy is about five. She's weaned him, so he's about five years old. She brings him up there, and here's Eli. Six, close to 90 years old, he can't see very well, and she comes up and she says, I'm the woman that was here five years ago, and I promise, you, you said I was going to have the baby, so here's the boy, I'm giving him to you to serve in the tabernacle. And you can almost see Eli going, what am I going to do with a five-year-old boy? I mean, I got two sons, and the best I know, they're not doing very good, you know? And, and so he takes the boy, and they leave, and we're going to see it in verse 11, they go back home. And so we've got a Let's say a five-year-old boy is going to be brought up by the old priest. Now, we also know that there were women that, that were around the tabernacle. And so maybe he got help from some of the women that were there to help in all of this. But uh, that's where we're going to, that's where we leave it. And so as we ended last week, Hannah, if you looked at chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, she gave a song. She praised God, and we looked at it last week because what, all she did was talk about how great God is. And uh, sometimes we ask a prayer and God answers the prayer, and we don't even thank him. 
We go, yeah, that was great. Well, what about, you know, what, how about saying, thank you, Lord? And that's what she does in verses 1 through 10. So now we take up at verse 11, and here's we are. They're going to leave him, and it says, Then Elkanah went to his home at Ramah. They went back, but the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. So Samuel stayed there. Let's just say he's five years old and served the Lord. Now, I want you to notice something. Look at the verse carefully. It says, now the sons of Eli were worth, excuse me, then verse 11 again. Then Elkanah went to, to his home at Ramah, but the boy ministered to the Lord. And if you notice, it's capital L-O-R-D, all capitals. That's the name of the personal God of Israel. That's Y-H-W-H, that's Yahweh. He's ministering to the Lord. Notice it doesn't say he ministered to Eli. He ministered to the Lord. And that's who he's serving. So even as a four, five-year-old boy, he is serving in that way. And so it's powerful. Now, let's meet Eli's sons. Now, let's just say this. So she's willing, she's giving her son, Samuel, to Eli. How has Eli done with his sons? Well, we could stop right there and say, he's not done very well. But we're going to see Sam, Samuel is going to be fine, but these boys are not. Look what we find. Look at verse 12. It says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Now they're called worthless men. It's literally the sons of Belial, which means there's unbelievers. The Belial was, is like a, almost saying sons of the devil. They're wicked. It says his sons, the sons of Eli, were worthless men. They were, they were bad men. It says they did not know the Lord. Now, when it says they did not know the Lord, there's a double idea there that they didn't know the Lord. They had never trusted in the coming Messiah. So they weren't believers. We know that. But they don't have, even have a relationship with God in any kind of way, way or shape or form. They're, they're priests. They should know God. They're the ones that are the representatives. If a person would come up to the tabernacle with a sacrifice, they're supposed to be the ones representing God and representing back, and they don't even know God. It, it is a, it's a terrible thing that's going on that you have these people in positions of leadership, and they do not know the Lord. Now, let me just say this. When people talk about knowing the Lord, where's, a lot of times people use that to the idea of saying, did they know, did they know Jesus Christ? And so I would say to you, I, you know, some people use terms like, did, did you come to know the Lord or do you, do you follow the Lord or something? The bottom line is, have you put your faith in Christ for eternal life? Jesus Christ offers the gift of eternal life. And to say, I know the Lord means that I have trusted Jesus Christ to give me eternal life and I am saved and saved forever. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, I know most of you, but every one of you in this room, I hope and pray every one of you have put your faith in Jesus Christ to give you eternal life. And you could say like this, and now you know the Lord. Well, anyway, there, there's some other things. And let, let me give you some background so you'll understand something. When the nation of Israel took the land, they took all the tribes, and each tribe got areas of land except one tribe, and that was the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi, they were going to be the priests. They were going to help at the tabernacle. And so they got 48 cities to live in, and then they would go up to the tabernacle. So they didn't really have land. They didn't have a way to make a living, so to speak. So what God said was, as people brought sacrifices, they would bring sacrifices and tithes and everything else, and the priest lived off this. Now, let me give you an example. If you were offering a sacrifice, now, there were sacrifices that, that were for sin, like you did something wrong, you could bring a sacrifice, but there were also sacrifices that called a thank sacrifice or, a, or, or a, some other kind of sacrifice that you, would, uh, that you would come up to God and you would say, uh, I would like to make a sacrifice to God because he, he loves me so much, and you'd give the sacrifice to the priest, 
And then they would put it on the altar or they'd put it in a big pot, whatever they were going to do. And then after it was offered to God, the priest got a portion of it that they could eat. And then it came back to you and you would eat it. It would be like a picnic. You'd bring your family and you'd say, we're just thankful to God. It's called a thank offering. We're so thankful to God. And so you would eat some of the sacrifice and the priest got to eat some of the sacrifice. And we're going to see he describes it. But what were the sons of Eli doing? Watch what happens. He goes on to say, uh, they did not know the Lord or the custom of the priest. When any man was, this is verse 13. When any man was offering his sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged uh, fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot, all that the pot fork uh, brought up. That what the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Now that means that if I brought a sacrifice and they put it in a pot to cook it, the priest had this big fork thing, three-pronged. He could get down in there and pull it out, and whatever meat came out, the priest got to keep. And then we got the rest. That's how they did it. Well, watch what's going on. It goes on and says, and before they burned the fat, the priest servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give the priest meat for roasting. He will not take the boiled meat from you, only raw and then he goes on to say, if a man would say to him, no, 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 they must first burn the fat first and then take as much as you desire, he would say, no, you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Now, let me let you understand what's going on, because this is wild. They wanted to take the meat before it was offered as a sacrifice to God. So Eli's sons would be there, say, you come up with a sacrifice. It's supposed to be offered to God and then divide it up. They said, give it to me now. I'm not going to offer it to God. And you'd say, oh, no, no, no. I, you got to offer my sacrifice to God. That's why I brought it. And they would say, if you don't give it to me, I'll take it by force. And they would take it. And so they were actually taking the sacrifices that belonged to God. How do you think that's going to go over with God? Not very well, right? And so that's why they're called worthless sons. That's why they're called sons of Belial. That's why they're called evil men. They are doing things wrong. And so I just want you to understand that, that th this is not some little thing. This is huge because the whole sacrificial system, the whole idea of the covering of sin, the whole idea of fellowship with God goes with the sacrificial system under the Mosaic law. And so they had to do their sacrifices, and these priests were taking the sacrifices before they were offered to God. That's really, let's just say it this way, that's really, really, really bad. And they would say, give it to me or I will Take it. Look at the next verse. It says, the sin, this is verse 17, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for these men despised the offering of the Lord. The sin was great, because they had no regard for the sacrifices. Listen, they didn't care about God. They didn't believe about God. They didn't believe about the Messiah. They didn't believe anything. They were just going through the motions. This was a way for them to get food and meat and to do things and to have privileges that they had around the tabernacle. And you, it's, just, it's just horrible. And we realize uh, they were taking the meat and, and before it was ever offered to God. And let me tell you, throughout history, there have been people do evil things in the name of Jesus Christ. There have been people who have done evil things in the name of God. So be very careful. And you look back. If you read back through church history, go all the way back, you are, we're appalled at some of the things people did in the name of God. 
And here's these guys in the name of God. They're saying, we'll take the sacrifice before you offered. And people said, well, no, you can't do that. He said, oh, yeah, we are. And we're going to just take it away from you. And they were taking it away. Now, by the way, Eli knew what they were doing. What should Eli have done? Eli should have said, hey, you can't do that. And you're not going to do that. You cannot be priest. That's what he should have done. But he doesn't do it. So watch what happens. And so it says they despised the sacrifices of the Lord. Now let's see the contrast. What is Samuel like? What's this little boy like? Look at verse 18. Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy wearing a linen ephod. Ephod was a, a little jacket, a little kind of a little coat that the priest wore. And he's a little boy and he's got his own little jacket, right? Because from the time he's five years old, six years old, he's growing up as a priest, even as a little boy. So watch this. You're going to love this because this is great. He's ministering, ministering before the Lord. It goes on to say that, and his mother would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Now, let me tell you, they, they, the Shiloh and Ramah, they live in Ramah and Shiloh. It's not, only, it's not very far, like maybe 18 to 20 miles. So she could go see Samuel anytime she wanted to. But every year when they came up for the sacrifices, she would bring him a little robe because he's growing out of his old one because he's getting to be a big boy. And so she would bring him a robe every year. And that's what she does. This is so special. And then look what would happen. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, and he would say, May the Lord give you children from this woman in the place of the one she dedicated to the Lord, and they would go to their own home. The, Eli would uh, say, You know, she has given up her only son to us. May God bless her and give her children. Look what happened. Look at the next verse. The Lord visited Hannah. And she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the Lord Samuel grew before the Lord. Listen, she started out with nobody, and she wanted a son, and she got a son, and she gave him away. And because she gave him away, God gave her three more sons, or three more sons, and, and two daughters. Look at there. God always does beyond what we could ask or imagine. Listen, when you bring your request to God... Just say, Lord, whatever, I'm trusting you. This is what I want, but I know you'll even do better. You'll do even better than we could imagine. And he always does. He does beyond what we could ask or imagine. He does that. Well, look at, look at the contrast here because it goes on to say, Samuel grew, the last of the verses, and the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. He's growing physically and spiritually. And Samuel was not influenced by the wicked sons of Eli. Now, I want to stop and think about that. Here's a six-year-old boy, seven years, eight years, nine, 10, 11, 12. He is not influenced by those wicked men. He is not influenced by those wicked men. And let me tell you something. We do not have to be influenced by our fallen culture, by our world. It is easy to let the world shape us and the, the, our views, our worldviews, our ideas get shaped by our fallen world, but we don't have to let that happen. We can renew our minds by the word of God and we don't have to, to, to come under this, this fallen world system and we don't. And so it's really amazing. I want you to think about something too about, about, uh, about Samuel. He's just a little boy and he's serving. He's serving the Lord. Some people say, well, you, you, you're too little to serve God. No, you're never too young to serve God. And you know what some other people say? They say, I'm too old to serve God. No, you're never too old to serve God. 
I've heard people say, you know, I've done my thing. I've done it. It's time for the younger people to take over. I said, you've not done your thing. Don't slide for home. Run to the finish. Take your life. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. Don't quit serving. You can start young and you can go all the way to the end. And I've seen so many older people who will say, I think I've done my thing. No, you haven't done your thing. You want to live for him to the day you die. You want to live for him till he comes and gets us. And young people, don't say, well, I'm too little. I'm too young. Don't let anyone look down on your youth. But right now, stand for Jesus Christ. Whether you're young or you're old, you're never too young and you're never too old. Well, what's happened? We see that Samuel wasn't influenced. Now, what are these guys doing? Well, let's see it. And it's going to make you mad. Okay, it's going to make you mad. Watch. Now, Eli was very old. And he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel. How they lay with women who served at the doorway of the tent of the meeting. Now, let me tell you what they were doing. He knows about it. He's heard about it. And what are they doing? They're disregarding the sacrifices. Remember, they're taking the sacrifice before it was offered to God. And they're having sexual relations with women at the tabernacle. In Exodus 38.8, it says there were women who actually served and ministered at the tabernacle. And so that's where these women come from. And they're having sex with them. And so not only do they not know the Lord, not only are they disregarding the sacrifices, but they're doing this as well. And everybody knows about it. Everybody knows about it. So here comes Eli. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? It says, and he said to them, why do you do such things? The evil things that I hear from all these people know my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. He said, this, it's going around everywhere. Everybody's telling me what you are doing. Now, what should he have done? He should have said, because I've heard what you're doing, you cannot serve anymore. Step down. I'll find other people to take your place. But he didn't do it. He let his sons take the sacrifices, do the, do the stuff with the women, and all of these other things, and he didn't do anything about it. And so look what he says. Now, this next verse, I'm going to have to explain something to help you put it together, but here's what he says. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? What is he saying? What is he talking about? I want you to understand that in the Old Testament, here I am, I could offer uh, a thank offering to God. It had nothing to do with sin. I could just say, you know, I was out in the desert and I was real thirsty and I said, oh Lord, if you'll get me some water, I'll, I'll bring you a sacrifice. And he got me some water, so here's my sacrifice. I'm just thanking God. You could do that. Or you could sin. You could do something wrong. You could sin against your neighbor. You could sin and you could bring a sacrifice and say, I blew it. I sinned. I'm bringing this animal. I put my hands on top of the animal's head. Animal dies in my place and covers my sin. Thank you very much. Okay, that, that's what I could do. But... If I sinned in what they call a presumptuous sin or an intentional sin, which means I planned to do it. I planned to do it on purpose. I knew I was going to do it. I planned to do it, and I did it. That was called an, un, it was called an intentional sin. There was no sacrifice you could bring. So if you sinned on purpose, you couldn't go and say, here's a sacrifice to cover that sin. What you did is you expected that God would discipline you in his way in whatever way he wanted to do. 
what Eli is saying to his sons, if one man sins against another, God is the mediator. We have the mediator. But if you sin against the Lord, that's an intentional sin, and they are doing that. They're doing that with the women. They're doing that with the sacrifices. He says, who can intercede? So you could offer a sacrifice of peace offering. You could have a sense of unintentional sin, but there was no sacrifice for a willful sin. And so what he's saying to his boys is this. You've done something that there isn't something to cover it. You might as well expect that God is going to discipline you. That's what he told them. And it's going to happen. And not only is he going to discipline them, he's going to discipline Eli because he didn't deal with it. We'll see that. And I'm going to go fairly quickly because we're running out of time. But I want to show you uh, one other thing is that uh, there's no sacrifice for a willful sin. It goes on to say they wouldn't listen to the voice of their father for the, the, the Lord desired to put them to death. Uh, they, they weren't listening, so God's plan is they're going to die. Now, here's the contrast. Oh, by the way, I wanted to say that. We have a mediator. We all sin. Sometimes we sin intentionally, right? Sometimes we sin. It's called a sin that couldn't help it. I, I, I looked over, oh, saw, saw that and did something, and I didn't mean to, or I said something I shouldn't have said, and I didn't really mean to. But then there's times that we plan to do something wrong. Now, what's great for us is we have the mediator, Jesus Christ, who came and died in our place to pay for our sins all of our sins, past, present, and future, uh, intentional sins and unintentional sins, we have the mediator, Jesus Christ. He is the one who died and rose again for us. And so that's who we have. And we're thankful that at a point in time in history, Jesus Christ died as our great high priest, paying for our sins and rising again, conquering death. And whoever believes in him will never perish. See, the issue for us and the issue for every human being is not their sin because Jesus already paid for all sin. It's whether you will believe or not, whether you will put your faith in Jesus. Well, it goes on to say in verse 26, Now Samuel was growing in stature and favor both with the Lord and men. So what's the contrast? Samuel is faithful and spiritual and the sons are wicked. Now this last part, I'm going to go very quickly through it just because of time. And I'm going to read it fairly quickly and I'm going to tell you what happens. And we're now going to see the prophecy the prophecy concerning the judgment on his sons and on Eli himself. Notice verse 27. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord. Now this man of God is a prophet of God, but we don't know who he is and doesn't even tell us his name. He just comes to Eli and says to him, Thus says the Lord, Did not I, did not I indeed my, uh, reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in bondage of Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose from them all the tribes of Israel to be my priest? Uh, to go up to the altar. He says, when, I, when in Egypt, did we not pick out your tribe, Levi, to be the priest? And the answer is, yes, you did. You did. And then he says, so I chose your family to be priest. Then look down at verse 29, because what he's saying is, he get, he's given this message of judgment. We're going to see that both sons will die in the same day. Watch what he says in verse 29. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering? which I have commanded in my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by making yourself fat. He says, you have honored your sons above God. That's what this man says. So far, this is not going good for Eli. He says, Eli, did, I not, did God not pick your family to be priests? Yes. Are you supposed to do what priests do? Yes. Are your sons bad? Yes. Are you disobeying? Yes. Are you ignored what they've done? Yes. Then in verse 30, he says, therefore the Lord God declares, I will indeed... Say to your house that those, and, and I'm not going to read the whole verse. He basically says, if you honor me, I will honor you. And if you despise me, I will lightly esteem you. And then look at verse 31. Here is the prophecy. 
Look what it is. Behold, the days are coming. I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house. There'll not be an old man in your house. You know what he tells Eli? That your people are going to die and none of your family will live to be old because they're all going to die because of the wickedness of your sons and the wickedness of you and what you haven't done because you were priest of God. I will break your strength, which really means I'll cut off your arm. He says, you won't get to serve me. Eli's house, nobody will live to be old. He goes on and says that in the same thing in verse 32. And then in verse 33, I will cut off every one. And then in verse 34, here's the key I want you to see in verse 34. This is the sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. On, on the same day, both of them will die. That's going to be the sign that this is coming true, that both of the sons will die on the same day. And then look what he says. But I will raise up, verse 35, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and my soul, and I'll build him an enduring house, and he will walk before my anointed always. He says, I'm cutting off your priesthood, your family. Nobody will be old. That's going to be the end of it, but I'm raising up a faithful priest. Who is that faithful priest? Look, it's a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. The near fulfillment is Samuel. Samuel is going to be the faithful priest. He will faithfully serve God all the days of his life, and following Samuel will be priests called Zadok and Abathar. They will do the same thing. There is a far fulfillment, and that far fulfillment is Jesus Christ. He is our great high priest who came as the final sacrifice for sin forever. So when the prophecy is, I'm raising up my priest, the near fulfillment is Samuel. And the far fulfillment is Jesus. He goes on and ends and says that your boys, I want to even read the verse. He says, your sons and your family will all bow down and they will not have a way to make a living and they'll be begging for bread. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It happens under Samuel and it will happen under Jesus Christ. So what have we seen? We've seen this contrast between Samuel who's faithful and Eli's sons who are wicked. We've seen Eli fail to deal with the judgment and his sons are in open rebellion and God brings judgment to the household of Eli. Let me give you some applications quickly. First, let's be faithful servants of God. Let's live righteously in a fallen world. Let's do that. Look at the contrast between Samuel and Eli's sons. Remind you, you are never too young to serve God, and you're never too old to serve God. All of us. We all got gifts, talents, and abilities. Some college kids say, you know, well, I'm in college. I can't do much. Yes, you can. Some people are in junior high and high school, middle school. Well, I can't do much. Yes, you can. Some people are in the senior group, and they say, well, I've kind of done my thing. No, you haven't. You still got your thing to go. We all have our time on this earth, you're never too old and you're never too young to serve him. So use the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given us. Use our time and possessions and everything for his glory. The second application is let's deal with sin in our lives. Let me tell you something. If we don't deal with sin in our lives, God will deal with our sin. Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, they never dealt with anything, so God had to deal with it. What do we do? We confess our sins. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So anytime you realize you've done something wrong, confess it. Jesus Christ already paid for it all. 
He wants to get us back into fellowship. The third thing to remember is fathers, I'm emphasizing fathers. Now, parents as a whole, but fathers, let's train our children. Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 6 says, teach the truths from God's word. It is our responsibility. Think about this. We need to lead our children to Christ, to tell them over and over how Jesus loved them and died for them, and he gives them eternal life. And we also need to teach our children the Bible. Take them through it. Help them understand it. Let them see the Bible stories and the truths. And then as they get older and the older they get, the more information you give them. Our role as a church is when your children come to us, they're going to be training them and teaching them. But that's, that's secondary. You're the main one. You're the main one. And last but not least, let's understand the priestly ministry of Jesus. Do not forget, Jesus died and rose again. He offered himself as the final sacrifice for sin forever. Look at this right here. Hebrews 10 verse 12. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sin, for sins for all time. What did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. The work is finished. He is the Savior. And all who believe in him will never perish, but have everlasting life.